Hi, I'm Janice, and I'm a very grateful alcoholic. Through the grace of God, you people, this fellowship, I'm standing here tonight sober and well. My story begins in September 1st of 1939, a long time ago. It was when I first learned to really hate. I, uh, I lost my youth in that war from 1939 to 1945, and uh, I was in London for most of the bombing. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really a coward at heart, and um, I'm down in these shelters, and somehow or another, a little drop of brandy went a long way to make me feel better. And a lot of the ladies carried their little drops of brandy and whiskey and what have you, and I partook of the, the scene. Uh, when the war started, I worked for my father, who had a meat market business, and I was 15, and I did not want to do this. I wanted to write, so I asked him if he would send me for a year's special schooling on English and diction so that I could write, and uh, I'm quite sure I could do this, and he said no. He said, I'll educate my sons, but I will not educate my daughters, because they'll only go off and get married whereupon my sons will have to be the head of a household. Now, this is Scotland, and this is 1939. And thank God it's still not, it's not that way today, I can assure you. I've been back. <laughs> um, we've, women have come a long, long way. <laughs> um, I was very upset about this, so I said, okay, if that's the way you feel, Dad, I'll work as long as I can, and I'm going to marry the first man who asks me to. And uh, I did. <laughs> I did. I met a young sailor from London, an Englishman. Uh, very toffy nose and very, uh, very rigid. And I bet my girlfriend that I could have this and ask this. I would have this man asked to t take me home. Then I would tell him, no, I live too far away. It was just a girlish prank. It wasn't anything really cruel or anything like that. I didn't have the sense then a days. I was so angry. And uh, I did, but this young man was too smart for me. Because when I got on the tram car to go home, he was right behind me. He had been standing outside the dance where we had been, and he waited and watched where I went. And uh, the next day was his birthday, and he asked me to go to the theater, and I said yes. And... Uh, he said, would you like a glass of port wine? I said, well, that would be lovely. So we went into the bar, and we had a I had a glass of port wine, and uh, I liked that. And when we came out of the theater, I said, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind another glass of port wine. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, fine, that's great. And after another glass, we went dancing. Boy, could I dance better when I had two glasses of port wine. Well... I met, this man asked me to marry him, and I got married when I was 16 or 5 weeks old. My parents didn't want me to get married, I have to tell you that. They were all against it. But you see, I was in rebellion, and I was angry. I was angry because my world had been taken away from me. I was living in a dark world. There were no lights. There was uh, coupons for clothing. Food was short. I was a very, very angry at the very idea that all this should happen to me. Why me? I go around saying that. 
I turned away from the church and the Sunday school and the girl guides and the whole thing and I married this man. And off we went to London. Now his ship would come into um, Portsmouth and Chat- Chatsworth and several of the English um, channels to be outfitted. He was on a, flot- a destroyer flotilla. So I would go from Scotland to England and I would wait for him to come off the ship and we would be together. His was the only love I had ever really known, and I would have gone to the ends of the earth for that. And it really was. And he was a very beautiful being inside. He was an orphan, and um, drinking was not the problem. Drinking was no problem. See, we were young. We were healthy. We were alive. And the bombers weren't getting me. And the U-boats weren't getting him. And boy, that was a lot to be grateful for. So I stayed in London with my mother-in-law, or rather the person who had brought my husband up. And I stayed with her until the raids became so bad, I had to go back home to Glasgow, to Scotland, because they were beginning to get to me. My nerves were beginning to get shattered. Um, there were such things, you know, as civilian casualties. And uh, I went home for a while, and, and then I went back again. I thought, the hell with it. So I get killed, I get killed. It was bad. The bombing was very bad. And it wasn't just the bombing. It was the tremendous, uh, uh, the, the fear, the fear of what might come. Oh, where was it going to drop? What damage was it going to do? Um, when you came out of a, the shelter, the first thing you did was look around to see where had, had it dropped? Did they need help? And I've seen many, many basket cases. I don't know if you know what a basket case is, but a basket case is where the arms and legs are gone and the person is in a basket. And this is a very frightening and terrible thing to see. It's just like a soldier in wartime. My anger, as I said, was bad, and I found that having a drink really calmed me down quite a bit, but it was still not a problem. I had my first baby before I was 20, and I had my second baby when I was 21. There's 14 months apart of my boys. And there was no homes in London for us. There was no place for us to live. They gave us two rooms in someone else's house without uh, water, without a sink. So I had to carry water up and down the whole length of that long yard and upstairs and downstairs, a bucket of water in each arm. I mean, this, this really was not right. And I got very, very angry because my little boy got ill t- twice. The second time he got ill, I went to the matron of the hospital and I said, I'm not taking him out until you find me a place to live. My husband's been to war. I'm a citizen. I want a place to live. I said, I'm as entitled to a house as anyone else. And uh, three three months later, I had a place to live. We had a flat in between, sandwiched in between two other apartments. And for that, I was most grateful. Um, Drinking still not a problem. Because, you see, we were trying to get a home together. We were getting, like, a little bit of furniture here and there. We were paying this and paying that. And, and, and drinking was not necessary because we were together and we were not in distress. But we, I don't know, it seemed that whenever we had trouble or, or pain, 
things were, we were much tighter. We had to hold together to get through. And um, that's what I found with you people when I came here. And I recognized that. Um, we stayed in this house for um, some time. And my husband worked for the London Electricity Board. And uh, we decided we would immigrate to Australia. So we went to Australia House in London, made out all the papers, answered all the questions set before a tribunal. Are you a communist? Have you ever been a communist? All this jazz. No, no, no. But we was, he was a qualified man. I was a qualified woman. And uh, he had a little tiny broken bone in the back of his hand. Um, and they, they said we couldn't, they couldn't take us because of that one tiny imperfection. Australia wanted nothing but the fittest, the healthiest, and the very, very best. And I was absolutely furious. So my sister had married an American naval, uh, naval officer, and she had been uh, sent to Hawaii. And uh, they moved to Oxnard in California. And uh, I thought, well, I don't know what to do now. I knew we had a lot of strikes in London at that time. It's hard to explain to people who have not been through uh, uh, cities that are almost desolate. That's very difficult to explain to you. I'm doing the best I know how. Um, I just didn't see any future for my sons, and that bothered me. That really did bother me. I thought, I don't want them to grow up and, and probably end up working in a meat market like my father and like my brothers, like my nephews still have that market. That market is still going and my nephews still have it. And it's still in my father's name, James Tunnicon's son, Master Butcher. But that's not what I wanted for my boys, because you see, I have a grandiose part to me. <laughs> not, for, not for my boys. So I wrote and asked if we could come to California, and my father wrote back and said, yes, come to California. Things will be better. No two ways about it. You can work. You're both workers. You're good workers. Well, it took six months, actually, for us to get... Again, we went through the, the American embassy with the communist bit and the health bit, and the, this communist bit was uproarious. They were talking about Marx and Lenin, and I had, I had barely heard of Marx and Lenin. But, you know, they were thorough with it. They wanted no one in this country because it was at the time when... Uh, what's the name of that man that went bananas over communists? Who? McCarthy, that's it, McCarthy. <laughs> and um, so anyhow, we came to Oxnard. Now, work was, very sh work was very short in 1955. Work was very short. And uh, we thought all we had to do was go to the electrician's uh, union and sign up and pay the fee, and then he'd get a job right away, and that would be fine. Well, he was 39 years old, and they told him he was too old. He was too old to, to work here as an electrician. So for three months, we were out of work. We went through our savings, and uh, I went to work as a waitress, and uh, he went to work. He drove uh, 50 miles each way to Oxnard every day to the General Telephone Company. They gave him three and a half years um, uh, advance on his wages because... 
of his uh, experience, and that helped some. And uh, I, I got a great job. I got a great job. I had never been a cocktail waitress in my life, and I had to lie like anything to get this job. But the only thing was I didn't know French wines, and I could read a French menu. And so the fellow said, well, it'll be a month before there's an opening. This girl was going to Santa Barbara, but it'll be a month. I said, I'll wait if you'll give me the job. He said, fine. Well, I got the job. It was called the Red Lobster. And it, no, the Red Log, I'm sorry. And it was in Oxnard, California. I made good money, real good money. I worked very hard. I worked a split shift. I walked home, fed my children, went back to work and worked till 10 o'clock at night. And this was fine. There was nothing wrong with this. Uh, I didn't mind that at all, except my sister introduced me to vodka martinis. And I used to say to her, I don't know why people spend 55 cents for one of these stupid vodka martinis. Look at them. And they even put something in them, this green olive thing in there, so you don't get your full whack of liquor. <laughs> and she says, have you ever tried one of these? I said, no. She says, let me buy you one. So after I was through that night, there she was, sitting waiting for me. And uh, the bartender says, no, no, this is on me. So I drank it down like I would water. And when I drank scotch, I, I drank scotch, and I didn't sip it. And uh, <laughs> my, my <laughs> I said, now that is even more stupid. I said, there's nothing to that at all. I said, and this olive is absolutely obnoxious. She said, I'll buy her one, Joe. That was a bartender, so she bought me one. I said, I still can't see what you see in it. I still can't. Why don't they just all drink? Scotch whiskey. And, the, and Joe said, try one more, Janice. And I said, sure. And I tried one more and fell flat in my face when I got off the stool. Needless to add, I like vodka martinis. Um, things were going pretty good. Uh, there was no great upset except I wasn't coming straight home from work. And... Uh, <laughs> And I was having a couple of vodka martinis. And uh, so my husband came in the bar one night, uh, probably about 12 o'clock, and he said, um, my wife won't be coming back to work. This is our last night. And my boss said, no, you can't do that. You can't, uh, I don't employ you. You can't do that. She, uh, I employ her, and I'm perfectly happy with her performance. And he says, yeah, well, I'm not. <laughs> and with that, out I went. And uh, I was very angry with him. Really, it really was. Because he almost forced me to go to work for General Telephone. And if there was one place in this world that I hated, it was office work. And when I saw these files that morning, when I went to pass the test, I'm not good at math. I'm very poor at math. I do English very well, but not math. And I thought, fine, I'm not going to pass this test anyway. I'm not getting this job. And uh, I passed the test, got the job, and six months later got a better job. I never drank on the job, never drank in the mornings, but as I was getting dinner at night, I'd be making myself a drink with one hand and peeling the potatoes with the other. 
And my husband and I started to drink nightly. Uh, this was a this was a beginning. This is the beginning of the crossing over, of the taking of a drink, a party, or what have you, into the home drinking. Uh, I didn't think too much of it because here again, my brother-in-law was a chief in the navy, and they had told him that he had to leave California and come to Tampa to be the recruiting officer for the Navy here in Tampa. And so that meant that my family was going and I was going to be alone again. I, I couldn't come to Tampa because, I, I mean, I had just barely got settled. And these boys had just got to school and we were just beginning to see the community. And uh, my parents didn't want me anyway. My sister didn't want me. They didn't want me to come here. I know that now. Looking back on it now, my parents had gone on a trip around the world in 1950, and they got as far as Honolulu, and my father said, you know, Jenny, Davida's only in California. We could get a plane and be in San Francisco and be in Oxnard by tomorrow. And my mother said, let's go. And they went down to California, and they never went back to Scotland. They never, ever went back. They stayed here and died here and were buried here. They loved this country. They absolutely loved this country. Uh, this drinking thing was, was, as I said, was beginning to get bad, and I, I kind of recognized that I was changing, and I was not changing for the better. It was harder for me to remember. I was dispatching men in the field where to go for their assignments, and I was dispatching them badly, because I can't read, I can't read a map. I mean, I'm from Scotland. I don't know. Any, I don't know about Zuma Beach or or Malibu or you know. But there it was in front of me. So all you had to do was ask me, Janice, please give me a job in Santa Monica so as I can have lunch with my girlfriend. And you might be out in Zuma Beach, or maybe 30 miles away. And I'd say, sure, no problem. And I'll just take you off the list there and put you on the list here. Well, a matter of months, it was noticed. Naturally, the records showed that. And. Uh, my boss was very, very nice to me. He says, you know, I think you should try for something else. I really do. I think you should try for something else. He says, um, how about assignment? I said, uh, well, I'll tell you, Mr. Bogue. I said, um, I, I, I really, this is not my forte at all. I said, but I'll give it a whirl. Well, I didn't pass the test for assignments because a lot of that was math. And, uh, but they didn't fire me or anything. They just let me sit there and, and fix tickets. I didn't do any more talking to the men. I, I kept all the orders, kept everything in order. Kind of a glorified file clerk, really. And, uh, and then I got pregnant with my daughter. 1959, I got pregnant. And uh, I left GTE and uh, told them why. And they said, well, don't leave. Go on a three-month absence and come back. Uh, we, 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 we like to have you. And I was very, you know, just right up my alley, gosh, and all this, between all this drinking and all this flattery, you know, this was great. And uh, I said, well, yes, I will. Well, I had my baby daughter in St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica. And uh, she was born... 
At 8 o'clock at night and by 10.30 the next morning, I was in a wheelchair and the gracious nuns were pushing me out because I was signing myself out. I needed a drink. I had crossed over that line and I needed a drink. So I had this hour-old baby in my arms in the wheelchair and off I went home. And the first thing I did was pour a drink. And my husband and I sat down and we sat down and said how wonderful things were going to be. Everything was going to be better. And the more we drank, the better they got. <laughs> and hey, you know, we weren't getting anywhere anyway in this Santa Monica, so we'd move outside the inner city and go into the suburbs. My husband was a test boardman and he wanted to know what the other half of his job consisted of so that he would have a real good knowledge. He was a very smart man a real good knowledge of what was going on. I said, fine. So we moved to West Covina, 50 miles outside of L.A. Well, I always said I never took a drink in the morning, and I didn't, until I could. Because uh, I went back to work, and by the time I paid the babysitter, paid for my ride, and everything else, it was hardly worth my while working. And I I told the truth. Uh, one of the very few times I did I told them I'm sorry I can't stay here because I said I don't make enough money I said to pay the expenses and um, he said okay and uh, shook hands and I left with good grace and three months later um, we we were broke really broke And I drew my first unemployment check, and it was for $42. And uh, I went to El Monte to to pick up this check, and the lady said, "Um, have you tried to get a job? I said, yes. She said, where's your card signed? And I said, oh, I didn't know I had to get a card signed. She said, yes, I told you. You have to try three places before you draw your first unemployment check. Now, this is 1960. This is 30-odd years ago. Things were different, believe me. And uh, so I, I, I said, well, I'll, I'll get them signed and I'll come back next week. And she said, yes, fine, because I can't give you any money without this being correct. So I went to the local bowling alley, and they said, no, they didn't need any waitresses. And I went to GTE, but before I went to GTE, I called up to make sure there was no vacancies. And the man said, no, I'm sorry, no vacancies at all, hasn't been for months. I said, well, thank you very much. So, <laughs> get on my bike, I didn't have a car, I had no car. And I went to GTE and I said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm applying for work and I understand you don't have any vacancies at the moment. And he says, no, I don't. He says, sit down. I sat down. He said, your face is familiar. He says, I see, I know you from somewhere. Well, in Santa Monica, we used to have open house, and we would take the public through our facilities and through all the workings of how we sent the codes out for the telephone for you to pick it up to get the ring, blah, 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 on and on and on. And I had been a hostess, and I had done that, and he remembered my face. And I said, uh, well, yes, I did work for you for a short time. And he says, let me call for your records and come back Thursday morning. 
So he called for <laughs> he called for my records, and I went back Thursday morning. Now this is after a night of drinking, where the perspiration is running down the back of my neck and through my head, and I'm thinking, no, I've, I've got to, I've got to not say a word. I'm just not going to say a word, no matter what he says. I'm not going to say a word. That's the only way I'm going to get through this. And I had white gloves on, and I, my hands were clasped. I, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. And he said.、Um, I've got your folder here, and across the folder, in big red letters, it said "recommended for rehire." <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "I give you a job." He said, "You've got to take a test." I said, "Oh, I'm no good in math." <laughs> he says, "Too bad, you've got to take it," <laughs> and I passed it. And I didn't pass the math. He says to me, "What's forty-nine thousand eight hundred and twenty-two plus a hundred and ninety-eight and four four tenths? Well, what, how, how, how exactly how much is that?" And I looked at him, you know, and he gave me the answer. He says, "That's right, isn't it?" I said, "Yes." He says, "See, I knew you knew that." <laughs> I mean, this this is God working in my life. This is God. This is God working in my life. I went back to work as a lowly clerk, and I got this terrible rash, this alcoholic rash on both my hands. They broke out in blisters where they ran. Just my hands. Then my nerves were so bad, and no doctor, no halfway house, no no place to go. Right back into the home. With a year-old baby, two boys, fourteen and fifteen, and a drinking husband. No place else to go. Had to go back and go to work ten days sober, and I did it. And I didn't do it alone. Let me tell you that. Right beside me, every step of the way was my higher power. In that short ten days, I had learned that somewhere in this world, and it was with you people, I was going to be able to live and be happy. If I could follow what you were doing, if I had enough left up here to do what you were doing, to get to meetings, read the book, like you said, and do you know? One morning I woke up and I'd been sober for three months, and that was a miracle. And that night was the 25th anniversary of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Bill Wilson was speaking in Long Beach, and I got on the. I'm working in this office. High heels, stockings, the whole thing. I jumped onto the end of this truck with four other people, and we drove to Long Beach. We got to Long Beach, and I heard Bill Wilson and Lois Wilson and Sister Agnesia and and some of the most beautiful、uh, people I've ever heard in my entire life. Episcopalian ministers, Catholic priests, Protestant ministers, and I thought this has to be God. This has to, has to be God. The sky up above was like a navy blue velvet, and the stars were were just twinkling, and and I felt good、uh, for the first time in a long, long time. I had a good feeling inside me. See, I hadn't done anything wrong that day. I hadn't told any lies. I hadn't taken anything I shouldn't have taken. I had tried, done a good day's work, because my sponsor says, "Now, when you go back to work, you have to make up for all that time you messed up the first time." I said, "Okay, I will, I will." And I'd put ten minutes overtime over here and not put it in. Fifteen minutes over here. I tried to work this program, and I worked it, and it worked. At the end of Bill Wilson's talk, 
I don't know if any of you have the tapes, but you can hear the aeroplanes. The aeroplanes then the days were not jets, and the noise was terrible. They really were terrible. And, and I, I, I was away at the back because we were practically the last ones there because I worked all day and jumped in the back of this truck to take me down there. And, uh, but I got to hear him speak. A beautiful, slim, small man. And you could see God written all over him. You really could. And the same with Lois Wilson. You could see it in their demeanor, in their eyes, in their heart. You could see it. And, and when he was finished speaking, he said, I want you all to light your light. Everybody smoked. Uh, light your lighter or a match and hold it up because I'm going to put all the stadium lights out. And the only lights on this earth will be the lights that Alcoholics Anonymous are going to have for those still to come. For the millions still to come, this is the light that will light the way. Because I'll be gone, but you'll be here. Now, I'm saying the same thing to you now. I'll be gone, but you'll be here. So you make sure that you have your light lit. Because there are millions that will die if you don't. Uh, we had a, a, my marriage was really not very good because you see I, they told me if I went to a meeting every night, uh, I could go to a meeting every night and I said no I don't have a car and they said someone will pick you up and for three years someone picked me up every night for a meeting and for three years I saved my money and bought my own car. I didn't want any debt. See, I was going to be pure, 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 pure. I wouldn't even have a, a car on credit. I'd, I'd never had credit. I didn't know how to sign a checkbook. I didn't know anything. Remember, I'm a Brit. I'm from another country with different ways altogether. And in three years' time, I saved up $640, and I bought myself a little white uh, falcon. And nobody was any prouder of themselves than I was when I passed that test and got that falcon. <laughs> and I said, Any, anybody need a ride? Anybody need a ride? <laughs> and I'd never driven on the freeway. And one girl lived in Rosemead, and that meant traveling the freeway. And uh, this was, I'd been sober about a year at this time. No, no four years, I beg your pardon. And she said, do you think you could drive to Rosemead? I said, no problem. Never been there. I said, anywhere I go with God's will, everything's going to be all right. She said, are you sure you, you, know, you know where Rosemead is? I said, yes, there's signs that says Rosemead. There's signs all along the freeway. I just have to follow the sign. And then you tell me where to go when we get there. And uh, I drove it to Rosemead. And that was one of my things I did every Wednesday night. I drove a car full of women to Rosemead. I don't know if you have any idea how good that feels when you've always been on the taking side. You've always been, and now you're able to give. When you're able to give, it does something for your inside. You know, we're all alcoholics. The women in the barrio in Los Angeles and the women in the silk sheets in Beverly Hills are all the same as you and I. We're all drunks. We're all trying to grow along spiritual lines. We're all trying to go one day at a time without a drink because we know a drink will kill us. I know a drink will kill me. The women in the barrio, I made sure they got in touch with the Spanish part of our program. The women who were trying to read the Wall Street 
journal in, in Beverly Hills, I made sure they got, tra- got in touch with other women who were reading the Wall Street Journal because I was working for GTE and I was a, a clerk. <laughs> but, you know, I tried not to say no when I made some terrible, foolish things by not saying no. Uh, I was asked to talk at a Tascadero. A Tascadero is almost 200 miles from where I live. You know? And, and I didn't think to ask. <laughs> I said, sure. You know, I was so happy with this program. I, now, years ago, we didn't have paper cups. We had these horrible big china mugs, you know. And, and if you have a meeting of 200 people, I had that job for a whole year, washing cups. And in the end of days also, as you walked in the door, because we didn't know any better, there was a man one side with a box of donuts and a man this side with a box of candy. And as you walked in, you said, thank you, thank you, and you sat down. And my God, your sugar, sugar ratio went hit the ceiling. You know, but we didn't know. See, we didn't know. But you know, you know, it's so great that you know the things that are healthy for you today when we didn't know. We, we didn't know. We really didn't. But uh, my life is, uh, that's my, that's my, that's as much as I'm going to tell you about my drunkalog. Except the very last part of my drunkalog was the most dreadful, vicious, un- cruel, unkind day of my life. It brought me face to face with death and insanity. I had a choice. I either had to die, go to Camarilla, or get well. And I didn't know which one to choose. I did not want to be responsible for these three children. I did not want to be responsible for this drinking husband. Because, you see, I was dying. I felt I was dying. And I walked into the room like this in Arcadia, California. And you people said, come on in. Come sit down. How are you? My name's so-and-so. You know, nobody nobody had given me the time of day for a long time. I had pulled some terrible tricks, too. I didn't have a washer or dryer, and the lady next door used to take me to the laundromat. I'm, I'm regressing back now. And, and on a Monday morning, I'd be so sick and hungover, I could not take, go to the laundromat with my baby in my laundry. And I would lie on the kitchen floor where she could not see me and put my hand over my baby's mouth so she wouldn't make any noise. So my neighbor was knocking at the door. The things I did for alcohol were absolutely, impossibly insane. And I know that today. And I will not go back and do these insane things. I don't ever want, again, to have to be roped into that terrible, terrible situation whereupon my life depends on a drink. My life does not depend on a drink. My life today is the best I've ever known. I have a small home, a nice car, a wonderful husband who is not an alcoholic, but who talks as much alcoholic as anybody else does. You'll say, I think it's time you went to a meeting. I don't like to hear that. my husband, my, the, my children's father died of cirrhosis in 1977, and uh, I was alone for almost five years. And I, we remarried, 
And we did it like kids. We did it like we had never done it before. We went to Maui. We had two weeks in the condominium. We came home. We went straight to our apartment. We decided what we were going to do with our lives. And I was sober and I was well and I was happy. And here we are in Florida. I came down here to be with my sister because my sister and I were the only ones left out of the whole family. And I thought I would like to spend some years with her uh, together. I love my sister very much. I also know that I was very jealous of my sister. She was everything I wasn't. And at the same time, I really wanted to learn from her because I had now become open enough to learn, to listen, to be taught. To be taught. That's what I came here, to be, to be taught. And my sister uh, had 15 years sobriety in AA. She and I are the only two alcoholics, as far as I know, in the family. And she died uh, two years ago with lung cancer. And I keep debating whether I'm going back to California. I have children there. Or whether to stay here, I don't know. I have, never, I have not yet come to grips with this. I will when I'm ready. Right now, it's on, on the back burner. I'm not going to worry about it. How I live today is I don't worry about things I can't do anything about today. And I try the best I can not to be hurtful or spiteful or anything else today. And if I can do anything for you that's within my power, like spending two hours on the phone, I, I sponsor ten women. I spend a lot of time on the phone. And my dear husband goes right along with it. And <laughs> I'm sure some, and, and interrupts his football and interrupts his tennis. And <laughs> but anyhow, we manage. And he, he brings me to meet. he brought me to meetings, and he brought me home from meetings for years when I first came here. Because I haven't driven since I've been here. I, uh, that's another one of the things that I have to look at. I'm very much afraid of your roads. I'm used to a straight freeway. I'm going down here and every other car's going down here. But in Florida, here they're coming this way and this way and this way and this way. And we have a beautiful car. And I, and I, <laughs> but I have to be honest and tell you the truth. And I, I really feel if I had a little tiny car. <laughs> But in, anyway, the truth of the matter is that uh, this program is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. On the 26th of March, 1960, I woke up battered and bruised from top to toe. Big fight in my house, my whole family upset, very dysfunctional. My husband and sons, my baby, myself. And I, I don't know what happened with you, but with me... It was like a train passed in front of me, and for the first time in my whole life, I knew it was no one else's fault that I was the way I was, but mine. It's my, I'm the one. Not my father, not my mother, not my sister, who is much prettier than I am. Hey, it's none of that. It's me. I was looking back when I was four years old, and I remember being the cause of a tremendous argument between my parents. And it was a deliberate thing. There's a little dark side to all of us. And I have a little bigger, maybe, than someone else. Anyhow, <laughs> there's a little dark side. 
And then when I was ten, and instead of taking the war in my stride like everyone else, I ran immediately to try and join the Royal Navy, and I was too young, and they wouldn't, they, there was no way they would take me. I was too young, and they didn't want me, and they knew that I would lie on the papers, so they wouldn't even give them to me, and I was very angry about that. Then I wanted to be a, a, a Red Cross worker, like I told you, and, and they, they, they knew that I couldn't handle the sights that I would have to see to be that close in with that magnitude of destruction. They knew that. I didn't know that. And so they sent me to a munitions plant to make um, radar for the RAF. And uh, this, uh, this radar, there was no radar in 1940. It was not perfected until 1941. And it was you guys that helped us perfect it. And I worked in this factory and I hated it and I was frightened because there was so much glass because everything was precision. It had to be 100% right. Otherwise, it was not going to pick up the German bomber's noise as they came across the cliffs of Dover. They had to be stopped there and go into the Atlantic Ocean, or they would be in London in no time at all. And there was no way to stop them once they were up there. Just dog fights in the air between the RAF and, and the German Luftwaffe. So the, the whole thing was, was... I'm still very angry about this, so I have to bring it up in a meeting one night. And you fellas, in no time at all, took care of all that anger. And how awful that, to think that that was happening also to my, the enemy. And then God really, really did it up good. He gave me a German for a neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Who couldn't speak English. And with his hands he'd gesturate and between, believe it or not, we were able to converse. He was an elderly man, and he had been wounded. And uh, so God, I, I can't begin to tell you the miracle, the miracles that God does work in our lives. You know, when my husband died in, in 77, I said, when I'm 55, I'm through. I've done my 25 years. I'm through. I'm going. I'm out. And along comes this beautiful man, and the first thing I said to him was, I'm, in three more years, I'm going to retire, and I'm not going to work any longer. I'm going to retire, and I'm going to do all the things that I've ever wanted to do for Alcoholics Anonymous. At that time, we were opening up 12-step houses in Los Angeles. We were opening up shelters for battered women, alcoholic. We were opening up where you could go if you were coming out of prison until you had enough to put it together, to try to get a job. These things were happening now, but this was 20-odd years later. And I wanted to be in the thick of that, because I had so much to give back. And uh, I did a lot of work. I really did. I did a lot of work. I did a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, um, work in the central office. I was the first woman ever to be nominated for the South Central Committee of Los Angeles. First woman ever to sit on the board in England at the time, and they voted me in. I never got a chance to say no anyway. <laughs> but they voted me in. And, and, and since then, it's been my privilege, through the grace of God, to do the one thing that Bill Wilson asked me to do. He asked 5,000 people, and I was one of them, to pass it on 
and keep on passing it on because if we don't there'll be millions who will drop because they don't know we're here or they come in and no one says hello or no one says hi people are frightened of emotion you know that more than I do just as I do we're afraid to show feelings that's one of the reasons we're where I was the way I was. In my house when I cried, I was told, go into the pantry and cry. Nobody wants to listen to you. When I, when I was overjoyed and bubbling over, I had to do that by myself because nobody really cared. And I didn't, it wasn't my parents that didn't love me. It wasn't my parents that weren't good to me. It was me myself. It was my own sick inside. I, was all, I walked apart from God for many, many years, and I was alone. I walked alone. And when I walked into AE, I walked with, and you are the with. I'm not alone anymore. You have taught me there is nothing in this world I can't do. You have taught me that with all the strength I have, if there is something that's mandatory, that he will add the strength to mine to do it. And I believe it. Because I get a little pension check from General Telephone. I get a little security check from the government that I paid into. And I live, I live comfortable. I get up every morning and I stagger into the kitchenette and my dear husband makes me a cup of coffee pours my coffee and I sit down and I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because, you see, there were so many mornings when I would get up when the sweat was running down my back and down my ears and from my head and I'd pick up my year-old baby and say, I'll never see her. I'll never see her go to school. Nobody could be in this kind of pain and live. No one could be so unsure of their life and what's ahead and live. And there's no one who really understands. There is no one who really understands. And I came here, and you understood. You understood. And you made the proviso for that ride every night. And you made the arrangements that if, if, if my boys were playing uh, football at school and I had no babysitter, you would find, help me find a babysitter for my infant who was a year old when I came here. Now, you also, you also gave me back my dignity. I think more than anything, you gave me back my dignity. See, I had lost all my self-worth. I had lost everything that ever meant anything to me in my life. And I had all these feelings and I had no place to put them. And I had no one to talk with. I had no one to tell about them. Because you see, I'm grandiose and I'm not showing you my real self. I've got my mask on and I'm not showing you. And you say, how are you? And I say, I'm fine. And I'm dying inside. And I hear speakers. I've heard, I've heard actors and actresses and I've heard people from from the government and we're all alike like the women in the burial and the women in the silk sheets doesn't make any difference 
We have no, nothing to, no access to grind here. I don't have to prove anything to you. You don't ask me any questions. I don't ask you any questions. I just say, I love you. And I do. I do love you. All of you. Because I would be dead. The first man who spoke was 70 years old, and he stood behind a podium like this, and he said, I've been in hospital, and I've been in jail, and my parents are, are dead, and they've died watching me slowly die, lying under bridges, lying under tunnels, whatever. And I'm sitting in the back of the room with my collar up over my ears, and I'm thinking, these things, these, I've never done any of those things, my God, no. But he must be 70. If I were 70, I would, I would probably... I would probably quit drinking, too. <laughs> well, in August, I'll be 70. And you know what? I'm not going to take a drink. And through the grace of God, new people. And what a pleasure this has been, because I've been in this area now for 11 years. And this is the first time I've ever spoken to my friends. It's the very first time I've ever spoken to my friends. Ernie, God bless him. One of the very first people I met, he welcomed me. He says, come back. Keep coming back. I said, I will. He says, isn't this your home group? It's a good group. I said, I will. And I did. You know, it could have been the zoo beat that I asked. He said, I will. And I did. <laughs> I, people I've met have added to my life, to my happiness so much that I pray to God I live to be a hundred. And if I live to be a hundred, I couldn't even start to pay back what's been given to me so freely. Please don't ever walk away from this side, because you will walk alone. But if you walk on this side, we'll all be there with you. And I hope to God that that's where we'll all end up. God bless you, and thank you very much.